Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have with us another incredible guest. We have with us Abdullah, who is the co-founder of Caplet. Caplet is doing something much needed in the healthcare space. They're helping patients with issues, anxiety related to medications. They're building a virtual environment for these patients, all the way from diagnosis, management to dispensing. They're on the cutting edge, really. Um, I'll leave that for Abdullah to explain, but it's an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. How are you? Welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm doing good, good. Yeah, thanks. So, good to be here. So it took us a while to kind of schedule this in, but we're glad we're here. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. And the reason why I say that is Abdullah has had this entrepreneurial knack from early and building in health tech isn't the first company he's built. Um, so Abdullah, if you don't mind, take us to the very beginning of this journey, the, the entrepreneurial, the side hustles, and kind of bring us up to speed with Caplet. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, it has been quite a, a long journey, I guess. Uh, I would say it kind of started from high school um, and, you know, always kind of, even from a young age, uh, getting involved when it came to just buying, selling online uh, or in school. And it was a bit crazy because in school, you know, we would actually get penalized for, you know, selling and being entrepreneurial. Um, mm. I remember, I think I was in maybe year 10, um, where I actually got excluded from, from, from school. Uh, oh, wow. selling but it was at the end of year 11 they actually awarded me for business person of the year so <laughs> school's a bit contradictory um, like that which is which interesting and I think it's quite important to encourage you know entrepreneurship um, and mm. not necessarily going down to the traditional route you know um, but but yeah so since then you know I I was always quite enthusiastic about you know finding problems or you know just generally problems that I was faced with facing and you know building out solutions um and that led on to numerous different startups and side hustles um prior to university i set up a um a fintech platform uh we're FCA regulated we're helping people invest in property online um so mm -hmm. we were the early you know kind of the early versions of of crowdfunding um and yeah whilst i was at university um i wasn't very very active at uni i was mainly focusing on my startup to be honest and um, yeah. About six months after I graduated, managed to get an exit. Um, nice. So we we sold that company. Um, but it was an interesting journey. I think even when it came to uni as well, like I took two gap years. Um, I was yeah. trying to avoid it, but then eventually, you know, the parents' pressure succumbed to me, and, oh, yeah. you know, and I, had to, I had to end up going to uni. Um, but it was still an you know enjoyable experience. Um, How did you find kind of running this prop tech startup while studying university? The reason I ask is a lot of medical students, a lot of students also happen to be launching and founding startups in the space. So how did you manage to do it and then get this successful exit? I think building startups now is easier than any, ever before. Like, we've, you know, we've got the power of the internet. We've got, you know, what's, what's happening in, in terms of like even digital agencies, um, you know, remote working. So it's absolutely possible. Um, anyone can, you know, really set up a company in a matter, matter of minutes and build out a website and start selling, you know, a product or service. So it is super, super easy to, to do, but it requires a lot of effort. Um, and I think a big challenge is being able to maintain, you know, your, your time across studies and work. Um, mm. I, I, I struggled with that myself, to be honest. Um, and I was missing a lot of classes, which 
isn't the best thing. Um, but you know, I, I did manage to to get good grades at the end. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just kind of how my mind works. It's kind of like mm-hmm. last minute, you know, yeah. putting all, all the effort into you know, <laughs> sixteen-hour days. So Abdullah, the way I would describe you is as a serial entrepreneur, right? Um, I want to get into your mind. Describe to me what it's like when you you said when you come across a problem, you want to solve it. So for people who want to explore entrepreneurship, right? What is the first thing you do when you come across a problem? What is the first thing you start thinking about? And how do you end up building a company and then exiting that as well? Uh, the first thing is like, how big is the problem? Like, is it something that can actually be sold? Is it something that can be monetized? Um, is the pain enough where someone out there is willing to pay you know, for the solution? Because if it's a problem that me or a very, very small number of people are facing, then it's not a problem that I would see worth pursuing. Um, mm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, okay, in terms of distribution, how am I going to you know, build that solution that is actually going to be um, you know, in front of enough people that want to buy it? Because I've seen as well, like even you know, in my kind of circle, people going out there to build ventures and spending a lot of money building out the product, but haven't spoken to customers, haven't spoken to mm. anyone that might want it. It's just a, like... And I thought that, you know, it would be so cool if we build out this thing. Um, <laughs> but then when it goes to launch, no one actually wants it or they don't know how to get it in front of people that want it. Um, <laughs> so then you've just spent a lot of money and you haven't really got much to show for it. Um, so what what is good is, you know, finding that out, doing the research and then building something, you know, the MVP, building something super basic. It could be, you know, fully white labeled. You don't have to spend a lot of money on it. Um, but getting in front of people who you know you think would, would you know would like to use it um build up your case study uh, and really take it on from there hmm. going back Absolutely. to the journey you've just graduated medical um you just graduated university as is the case with a lot of ethnic minorities you know your parents are super proud you know you can go on and do whatever you want you exit this uh prop tech company what came next did you kind of go into like a graduate job uh, go in, or did you go into a different startup, a different side of hustle? Tell us about that bit. Yeah, so then I got into kind of private equity, uh, property investments, traditional mm-hmm. stuff. Um, that was that was quite that was quite good. Um, you know, you learn different skills working in in that type of environment over tech startups. Um, but still, there was always kind of something pulling me back into tech. Um, mm-hmm. And after after prop uh, prop tech, the prop tech space. Um, I got more active in the the care sector as well, social social sector. Um, so that's where we we were working with um, homeless, uh, you know, people who were homeless, they were vulnerable adults, uh, and we set up a, a non-profit a CIC to to help house them. So alongside oh, wow. doing kind of private, you know, private uh, accommodation um, and investments, we were also dealing with the other end of, of the market, which is people who can't afford a home um, mm. and helping them get into, you know, get home, um, get the support they need so they can get back up on their feet and, you know, get back into work and stuff. So a question here, and it may be slightly controversial. When people go into private equity venture, traditionally you, you kind of see them as money orientated, kind of in a, in a different mindset. Why does someone like yourself all of a sudden is also interested in this humanitarian space? Why do you want to kind of help these people? Because it's very rare 
to kind of hear an individual doing both? Yeah, I think um, I think it's it's important because um, like every time, like everyone's got their own experiences, uh, yeah. and, and for me, it's always been a case of um, you know the way that we've been brought up is like always put other people before yourselves. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, regardless of you know social status or anything like that, um, you know we're all we're all equal. Um, you know, no one is better than than anyone else. Um, and we should always do whatever we can, you know, for the better of, you know, better of humanity. Um, mm. So that's something that's, you know, that we've always been brought up, you know, with from from a young age. Um, so it wasn't really a case of, you know, let's go out there and, you know, try and make as much money as possible. It's it's been, mm. look, there's people out there that are suffering, that are, you know, homeless. You know, they haven't mm. got a place to stay, they haven't got shelter. What can we do to to support them in that? Um, mm. So, so yeah, so it was, it was really something where, you know, if you can do something, just do it. Um, mm. Yeah, so, so we did it. No, definitely. Absolutely. How long were you in private equity before kind of the next leg of your journey or before you started kind of the next project? Uh, so it was about two, two years, two and a half years. Um, and then I got into... Uh, actually, my co-founder uh, that was with me in, in, in the property company, uh, Shafi, who's now my co-founder in, in Caplet, um, you know, he completed his, his master's in pharmacy uh, and he was working at um, a company called Echo. Now, mm -hmm. Echo then got sold by, it got acquired by McKesson or Lloyd's. Uh, they're now called Lloyd's Direct. Um, they're pretty, pretty well known in the health tech space. Um, and this was a time when, like, we were doing the housing thing, the, the social housing. Um, and I could see from my side that when people didn't get the medication, like, there'll be a huge amount of anxiety. Uh, yeah. And obviously, we were dealing with, with a lot of a lot of tenants that may have like mental health um, issues. Mm. Um, you know, they may have, suffer from depression, things like this. So when they didn't have their medication, there'd be, you know, a lot of kind of disturbances in the home, because um, it was like mm. a HMO type type of houses like where you have multiple people multiple tenants mm. in, in one home um and and you can see like when it, it was so difficult to get for them to get medication as well because like when money comes in from benefits they might spend it on you know on, on drugs and alcohol things like this and then they might not have enough money then to even call the pharmacy because they haven't got minutes you know it's, mm. it's that mm. it's at that level um so i i saw the pain from that side uh, and also from when it came to family, because obviously managing parents' medication, um, mm. having to go into a GP, write on a piece of paper that, you know, this is what I need. And then, you know, guessing to see if the pharmacy's got it or not, um, mm. either turning up or giving them a call, you know, trying to get through, trying to get through to the GP um, and not being in control. And that's a frustrating thing because, like, we've got control over other parts of our lives, I think. Mm. And this is why there's quite, it was, it was, really good for me personally to make the switch from fintech to health tech because yeah. fintech is way ahead um you know like even if you see banking apps you know if if i want to you know send send a transaction i don't have to go to the bank anymore you know i could do everything yeah. over my you know my phone um and no one says you know let's go to the bank i want to go to the bank you know it's yeah. like a need right and the same thing when mm -hmm. it comes to pharmacy you know um, you know, no one wants to go to, say, you know, wants to go to a pharmacy. It's more of a need. Like I need to go to a pharmacy. If I can get it sorted on my phone, I don't have to go. I'll do that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so it's kind of like feeling, feeling that kind of pain and frustration, 
And because Shafi was already in the space, I said, look, we yeah. can we can do something here. Um, you know, the market's still very, very small. It's still mm. small now, but the growth is, is huge. Um, and I think we can make a difference. And if we're able to make a difference mm. in, in people's lives, I think it's uh, obviously yeah. rewarding, um, you know, re- rewarding all all the way around. Yeah, I think this problem is actually has gotten worse since post-COVID, actually. So I work in an A&E department, right? And what you've just described, people are going to the GPs, half-guessing medications. Right now, what we're seeing more is patients coming into A&E, accident emergency, waiting five, six hours just to say, look, I haven't got my medication. I really need it. Otherwise, I'm going to have a seizure. I'm going to lapse or what have you. Um, So I think the problem has definitely gotten a lot, lot bigger. It's interesting your experience of saying fintech is miles ahead. It is true. It is definitely true. And your experience now bringing it over to the health tech side, what's been the response from when you've talked to other people, apart from Shafi, because he's your co-founder, when you've said, look, this transaction can be so much more simpler. The other industries are miles ahead. Why Why do we need to turn up to a pharmacy? What's been their reaction like? Uh, so I think it's, it's interesting because like, if you speak to patients, they're like generally amazing. Like this is mm-hmm. something that needs to happen, uh, because they feel the pain. They understand what the, like, uh, as you mentioned, uh, because there's so many people clogged up at GP surgery, yeah. people are forced to go to A&E and then A&E gets clogged mm. up. Um, mm. and you know, they say about a third of people that go to GP surgeries for prescription related issues, you know? So if that's yeah. something that can be unclogged by you know, solutions like we have, it means that more people can go to GP rather than go to any. When we're speaking with patients, they're saying, yes, you know, this is something that works for us. We're in, we've got control. The medication gets delivered to our home. We don't have to worry about it. We get reminders when to request medication. And, yeah. you know, especially where now we're integrating with other apps and health apps, you know, telemedicine, things like that. Mm. There's no longer a break in the patient flow. So mm. the ideal kind of structure that we're building is they're seeing the GP on the phone, uh, prescription is sent over to us digitally, they're updated throughout the process and it's you know, sent through to them in the post. When we're speaking mm. with now traditional, um, you know, professionals in, in healthcare, a lot of people do say, if, you know, if it's not broken, I've heard this so many times, yeah. I, I feel like, um, I feel like everyone, you know, they've all gone to the same school or something and everyone's just been yeah. taught the same thing. Um, I, I think in the last week, I must have heard it four times. Um, mm. and what's, what's interesting is that a lot of people don't see that it is broken, you know, because yeah, they don't yeah. see, you know, they're not firefighting necessarily, you know, they're not necessarily mm. firefighting. They're seeing mm. that something is the cogs are turning. Okay. The patient's having to turn up, but they're not necessarily seeing it from the patient's perspective. Mm. And what we're looking to do is really make people realize that when you do switch on the tech button, you can't really go back because now you see what efficiency really feels like Yeah. and yeah. ask your staff, you know, obviously I'm generally speaking to you know, maybe the owners of the business. Um, oh. and you know, if I'm speaking with care home managers, they're seeing the bottom line. Um, you know, so they may not see on a day-to-day basis what their staff are actually going through. Um, oh. and because they've been doing it so long, so many times, the staff may think, yeah, this is just normal. But actually, if you see the amount of paperwork that they're doing and, you know, if we're able to cut that down by a couple hours a week, um, you know, it can have a huge impact in terms of how they can then you know, spend that time, uh, you know, better looking after, you know, their, their residents. Mm, Do you think coming from a non-clinical background, 
makes things a bit more obvious, a bit more stark compared to someone like us who is in the system and you know we don't know any better we've never experienced any other tech companies fintech prop tech um, do you think that being a non-clinical bank account gives you an unfair advantage or are you worried that it, it can you know be disadvantageous compared to someone who's you know been a clinician being a gp deals with medication on a database basis i think the unfair advantage is when you've got both aspects both in one team um, now, the fact that, you know, I've got non-clinical, but my, my co-founder's got clinical, it means that when we're bouncing ideas off each other, it's, you know, we can come, you know, come down and really uh, solve a problem differently because of the different, you know, experiences and perspectives that we bring to the table. Um, mm -hmm. Like, personally, when it comes to, you know, obviously not having a clinical background, it does mean that, you know, I face different challenges, especially when it comes to the jargon, when it comes yeah. to... Fortunately, a lot of a lot of it now is digital, so I don't have to guess what doctors are writing. Yeah, uh, I think that'll be uh, that's that's challenging in of itself. Um, but but when it, you know, be, because we have got both those aspects, um, I think it really does help. Um, mm. And I am constantly learning. Like I'm, I'm yeah. constantly, you know, um, learning more, reading more articles, finding out more information um, when it comes to. The clinical side as well so it's, it's a necessary thing no definitely and i think the one thing i think is interesting is when non-clinicians come into building a health tech they bring a different environment a different set of expertise the one thing i did want to ask Adela is and it's quite kind of fun and interesting is what's been like a recent set of medical jargon you didn't understand or did it make complete sense to you ah uh, uh... i know there's loads What's a recent one? I don't know if I think of one off the top of my head, to be honest. But we were doing we were doing a special um, a special line, and, yeah. And this is actually on a call with we, we were speaking separately about about working together with Peer. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to guess the medication. Oh yeah, was... I'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember the name of the medication, and then we'll test Ams. Ams is the first centre student, so most likely he'll know about it. And he'll know that the pharmacology and like all the little bits and bobs. <laughs> you can imagine Ams was top center and I was at the bottom and then we met in the middle, right? And then we just averaged <laughs> out. But um, kind of moving on, tell us a bit more about Caplet and how you can integrate with other companies, other health tech companies, because I know a lot of our listeners are building actively. They have their own startup. How can Caplet help them? So the way that we see it is let's let's put the patient in the middle of everything that we do. You know, everyone talks about patient centricity, right? So mm -hmm. what's important is the patient and how they're going to now navigate all these different apps that are out there, all the different solutions and the awesome, awesome things that people are building. And I think what we need to do is find ways that we can integrate various different systems to optimize the patient experience to such mm -hmm. a level where it's seamless. They don't feel like, um, you know, someone else is taking taking control of them, it, you know, they've got full control of, you know, their health. They're able to see the doctor when they need to. Um, they're able to get the medication they need. They're able to see the therapist, whether it's like digital therapeutics um, and, and, and things like that. And I think what we're really looking to do is plug in with multiple different apps um, mm -hmm. and essentially add stickiness to their product. Um, and at the same time, most importantly, enable patients to manage their medication from you know regardless of what they're using as their day-to-day -day kind of health apps um what you don't want is you know one patient having to download four or five different apps just to take care of themselves 
Um, what's really interesting is how you know you can use multiple different services, put them together, and you've got a unified type of ecosystem. Um, mm. So I've now you know I, I'm using um, cap, you know so and so app. Um, I'm able to you know um, see the doctor through it and capital plugged into to handle the medication. Or it could be, uh, and we, we've spoken with founders that are in digital therapeutics or doing apps for mental health. So you could have a mental health journal, for example, uh, and they're able to book in a therapist if they need to. Um, and it may be the case even where a lot of these apps are trying to um, push for solutions other than medication. Um, yeah. And this is appropriate as well, because it's not a case where if, if someone doesn't need medication, then why should they be taking it? But that mm. might also be a journey for the patient. It might not be a case where they're ready to, you know, completely switch off and, you know, use a different, you know, different solution. Um, and mm. whilst they're on that journey, we should make it easy for them to be able to, you know, book and arrange their medication, um, you know, as, as they kind of progress. Um, so it's a case of if patients are prescribed something and they're using, you know, app XYZ, you know, through Kaplet, they can, you know, just click a button and say, yeah, I would like to opt in for, you know, Kaplet as a, as a service. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, whatever data needs to be shared with us, gets shared with us, it automatically nominates them, you know, they're connected with all the GP surgeries. So when the GP, um, well, it will automatically update who their pharmacy is on, on the GP side. Whenever they make the request, it'll come through to us. Uh, and mm. we're also building out a feature where they will be able to request through 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 us as well. Um, so we see it as like a widget, um, mm. you know, a widget for pharmacy um, no. and a widget for access to the medication. Mm. The one thing I like what you mentioned, and I didn't really think of it before you said it was there's a lot of innovation happening in healthcare, which is good. But at the same time, that means there's multiple platforms, multiple apps for different phases of the journey. Whereas what you're doing is you're happy to kind of work with other existing health tech companies and help make that patient journey easier, smoother, reduce those anxieties and frustrations that come with medication. And let's be honest, the vast majority of medical conditions, there is some form of medication that go with it. Now you mentioned, you know, sometimes medicine isn't the best solution. So it, it, it kind of put things into context and perspective that there will come a time where like, you can't expect patients to have five, 10 different apps for different phases of that journey you do need to have that ecosystem where everyone's kind of collaboratively being centered around the patient. The, the question I want to ask is how do you kind of ensure you're kind of on point compared to traditional pharmacies? Cause a lot of patients, especially in this country, they sometimes fear change, you know, forever they've kind of gone to traditional pharmacies gp practices they physically want to see someone sometimes they want to physically speak to a pharmacist how do you kind of overcome that barrier particularly in the elder community um, population yeah no it's definitely a very good uh, good question the way that we see it is that the change is already kind of happening in in that direction um and what we are really looking at focusing on is the dispensing of repeat prescriptions. So when people need access to the pharmacy, they get the same access in terms of like over the phone, the mm. in-person, I think post COVID, it does kind of support the, you know, the, the digital model, uh, mm -hmm. because a lot of people are used to not necessarily having the in-person interaction. Yeah. Um, and that can be replicated quite well. Like we've got, you know, 
here, you know, on, the, on this podcast, um, mm. you know, through kind of digital, you know, interactions. So, so you have that on one side where you're getting the exact same experience in terms of being able to speak to a pharmacist whenever you need to. You know, you've got a pharmacy in your pocket, essentially. Um, the medication comes on time, which is the most important thing. You know, you're not having to constantly chase. It's not a reactive service where yeah. you're always chasing. It's proactive. So we're reminding you, we're triggering reminders to you. And, you know, we are now also looking at how we can minimize, you know, the the distance when it comes to online. Because when when you are dealing with, you know, something like people's health and, and you're mm-hmm. remote, you know, you can have, you know, anxieties come up. And the way we're mm. looking at this is the one constant you have throughout this whole process and the one face-to-face interaction you have throughout this whole process is the, is the delivery driver, you know? Yeah. The delivery driver is the one person who is going to go to the patient, um, you know, every single month. Now, what happens currently is, you know, that's kind of passed on to third-party logistics. The drivers change. They don't know this medication inside. It might be thrown over the fence. And, you know, what we're really looking at is how can we make that one constant as as friendly as possible mm. and make it so that, you know, they've got basic enough information on medication and, you know, how to really handle, especially with elderly patients, um, you know, in, in terms of like their tone, in terms of their friendliness, so that people don't feel like this is, you know, there's a pharmacy that is, you know, 50 miles away from me. Um, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I am seeing the same driver every month. I've built a report and I think mm. that's really more towards, I, I think people that are maybe a little bit older may appreciate that more yeah. uh, because if you look at the young professionals, um, you know, like, like us, it's really a case of, I just want my medication on time. I don't really, I might not really care mm. necessarily uh, yeah. in terms of this, but I think for us it's about how we can make this as, uh, how we can make ourselves as approachable as possible, uh, especially for the people mm. that need it the most. And, you know, the most vulnerable in society are, are the elders that, that need the medication. I think that's a really interesting point that you picked up on. Uh, I didn't really think of that. The, the, the constant factor in all of that is the delivery driver. Now, what would be interesting is, so a lot of tech companies, I think a problem they face is that the elderly community find the interface with digital, whatever it is you're building, a little bit challenging. Uh, but it'd be interesting yeah. how you innovate with the delivery driver constant, because if you could get... The, that interaction being, you can get feedback, you could get them repeating orders through it, the driver itself. It'll be interesting to see what, what plans have you got, like in terms of to make it easier apart from this, apart from the delivery driver, any other plans that you've got to make it easier for the elderly community um, with engaging with Caplet? Because we're, get, we're seeing an aging population, polypharmacy is increasing, more and more meds are being dispensed. So the burden is getting higher and higher on pharmacies. Yeah. That you so can we've share. Got, we've got a few ways of, <laughs> of really handling this. <laughs> no, we've got a few. We're super, I'd like to think we're super transparent. Um, mm-hmm. Because even if, uh, you know, the, our, our, our best competitors watching this and you yeah. know, they're able to take something that we've got and improve people's lives, you know, it, it's only, you know, it's only benefiting someone out there. So, mm. um, so, yeah, so but <clears throat> what we're looking at is, you know, not building tech for the sake of it. You know, th- there's no point in building out technology or implementing technology where you don't necessarily need it. So yeah. what we're really looking at is how we can enhance the experience. So even in, in, in terms of like the back end, of course, yeah. it's very, very technically advanced when it comes mm-hmm. to the dispensing process and delivery process, and the, the scanning and the QR codes and everything that we've got kind of kitted up around us to, to enable us to 
provide a very, very efficient, quick service. So medications always, you know, come in and dispatch efficiently. So, you know, that's all the mechanics that's happening in the background. What's patient facing is we are as technical or non-technical as you'd like. You know, if you'd like mm -hmm. to still make requests over the phone, you're able to do that. If, you're, if you'd like Amazing. to do it over, the, over email, you're able to do that. Um, you know, if you'd like to, um, you know, have a chat, no problem. So we're really looking at every possible avenue, you know, which is, you know, scalable um, for, for mm. people to engage with us. They're able to do that. Um, yeah. They don't necessarily have to go through an app. Um, Amazing. Another way that we're really looking at this is encouraging people to, again, it comes down to caring. It, it comes down to, you know, looking after one another. We're, we're really looking at building in a way which encourages people to take care of others. So I'll give an example. Um, you know, in my household. So, you know, in, in my household, I've got people who are, you know, in their seventies, um, that my, my, my grandparents, um, and they're not able to, you know, use the, the phone to, um, you know, make calls to, to the pharmacy. Um, you know, they, they, there's a language barrier um, you know, so there's all these things and they need their, their medication, you know? Um, so what we're looking at is having one person that's nominated in the home who can add the others as dependents via an okay. app. So, you know, my granddad doesn't need to be on Caplet's app because I'm on the app, you know, and I can add yeah. him. And this kind of happens anyway, a lot of the times in a lot of families, you know, you'll have someone that takes care of their parents or grandparents or might be a cousin who's not capable of doing it themselves. So it happens, mm. but now it's like, let's create an environment where it's encouraged uh, and let's create an environment where it's a lot more easier to be able to do it. So as long as I can have permission from my, from my grandparent you know, or whoever it is, they give me the permission to do it on their behalf. That's absolutely fine. I can manage the, all the, the medication of my household. I can manage for my, for my daughter uh, on the same account. You know, I don't need a separate account and it's mm. all there, uh, easy to see. Um, so, so yeah, so that's another thing that we're, that we're really looking at, um, building up. The, the third wow. thing is working with care homes and supported housing provisions where again, the, the, the patient or the resident, um, isn't really taking care, you know, necessarily making the requests and the orders themselves in any case, but then it's really empowering the support worker or the nurse, um, you know, in those environments to be able to do it on their behalf. No, I think. Some of the stuff you've mentioned is is quite impressive to hear. The fact that, and we know a lot of households run like that, where it's actually one person that's responsible for a few family members. They tend to take them to their GP appointments. They tend to take them to hospitals. They're the ones that are reminding the family members with their medications. And the, the whole aspect of accessibility. No, you don't need to just go through the app. You can go through telephone. You can go through email, things that have been around. The question is, what has been the response from traditional pharmacies? I can imagine they are probably not very happy when Abdullah comes along, you know, and all of these other health tech companies, you know, standing on their turf. How are you dealing with them? What has the response been with those individuals? You know, the, it, it's, uh, it's funny, I should put together, you know, the experiences so far. I'm sure they'll <laughs> get more and more interesting as we grow. Um, and hopefully publish a, a book or something one day about it. But you get some, uh, yeah, you get you get some really radical pharmacists out there um, yeah. that are very very passionate about how things work. And rightly so, obviously, it's their bread and butter. You know, so I fully respect the you know the work and the hustle that they've been doing. You know, possibly their, their whole working career. Um, yeah. So I absolutely respect you know how how they've been 
you know, integral part of the community. But I think what's important is within every sector to really look at, again, put the patient there, put, you know, look at, look at it from the patient's perspective. Is technology going to make it better for them? Yes, it is. Yeah. So how can, how can community pharmacies um, and traditional pharmacies look to use technology? I think mm. the move is kind of happening now already with, um, you know, the NHS looking at making high streets, high street pharmacies more clinical, which is good. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then our, you know, my version of the future is the, the repeat dispensing comes to like, uh, you know, hubs like ours, whereas warehouse, we're able to focus on, you know, the repeats. We don't have walk-ins, you know, we don't have, um, you know, people coming in to ask questions and things like that and distracting us from, from the dispensing. We do core, core dispensing. That's what we do day in, day out. We use all the, you know, the tech to really automate and make it click. The, you know, we, we've had instances where, you know, we, we're not, we're trying to nominate a patient now and yeah. um, where their, their current medication is now at their previous pharmacy. Uh, and we're basically saying, look, we need to, we, we're going to dispense it. So if you can release the script so we can claim, you know, claim the script and we can dispense it on our side. So having a, so Shappy does all, all these calls, you know, to, to the pharmacies, but but he's speaking to them and I'm with him and they're saying, um, you know, where's the patient? You know, we put the patient on the phone. We want to speak to the patient. We're like, no, we're a digital pharmacy. There's no patient here. Yeah. Um, and they're like, why do they want to move? Um, you know, you know, we can, we can handle this medication for them. And it's been sitting there for like the last 10 days and they haven't done anything with it. Um, oh. and then we say, you know, we said, no, no, the one it delivered, the one, you know, that's why they're looking to move over to us. And, uh, yeah, the pharmacist said, um, that's fine. We'll have it delivered to them by 4 PM today. Oh wow! <laughs> you know, we're, we're kind of like fighting and saying, no, no, look, they, they want to switch over. You know, like yeah. they're telling us they want to switch yeah. over. Um, so, you know, just release the script. We had um, another case where, because a lot of the times patients, they might not be able to get through to the GP. Um, yeah. And we're like 25th or 27th on the line, you know, and we just put it on speaker and listen to, you know, whatever they're playing for like an hour before we get yeah. through to someone uh, because the patient's not able to, to do it. So, so we, so we did that for one of our patients. So, we're speaking to to a GP, making the requests, you know, um, sorting out all the medication that comes through. And all we see is the, the previous pharmacy nominates them back, takes all oh, the, wow. you know, basically the, all the scripts go to them um, and they dispense it. And we're just like, oh, you know, what, what do we do now? And the, the patient wasn't uh, aware uh, or notified or anything like that. Um, and yeah, mm. it's, it's a bit, it's interesting, but I think the market has to move, you know, yeah. people you know when it comes to technology it's it's happening you know it is mm. happening it's necessary innovation is necessary um yeah. and like when we first got into this space in 2020 you know we saw that the stats were about two percent of the market was online now it's four yeah. percent mm. as well it was four percent i think last year in december october they mentioned it's about 5.9 percent so the growth is happening oh, wow. more people are switching to to online solutions um and I think it's important for, for, for high street or traditional, um, to really see that it is really happening. Um, yeah. and it's important to embrace it and really offer the services that are necessary face to face. There's things that we can't do, you know, that, mm. you know, we're, we're not going to be doing, um, you know, blood tests. We're not going to be doing vaccinations, anything like that. So really hone in on those services, which do require you to be in person. Mm. The question, the question I want to ask is you're doing many of the roles in terms of dispensing a traditional pharmacy does. Do you think you will also do the other lateral things they do as in kind of the regular blood pressure checks, the smoking cessation, 
do you think you'll be offering those type of services but in a virtual way since you have access to these user groups since you have access to a lot more patients at a traditional brick and mortar pharmacy will i think those those solutions aren't at the kind of top of our list at the moment um and i'm not sure if they will be to be honest like for for us we want to really specialize and focus on what we think we're really really good at and that is mm. the dispensing and delivery part um mm. in terms of the other services it may be a case where like more and more high street pharmacies are able to provide in-home you know services for that yeah. uh because from our one hub in west london like our nhs contract you know we, we can essentially dispense nationwide um that's mm. absolutely fine but then the logistics of actually dedicating time to be able to do in-home visits you know to that mm. level is going to be quite difficult and i think that's where really this pharmacy network of you know over 10,000 12,000 pharmacies on the ground within the local community i think they will be better suited for that and again it's just mm. looking at what is better for the patient and understanding yeah. that there's not a you know there's not a battle there's a case of you know everyone knowing where they fit in and you know just doing what they can to to support no definitely absolutely the way you're describing it sounds like a utopia right we're going to become tech enabled dispensing automated tell us a bit more about the struggles the obstacles you faced getting to the point where you are allowed to dispense medications there are rules and regulation when it comes to medication not anyone can spin off a little dispensing community or an environment where can where they can do it tell us about the challenges of kind of getting couplet up and running i think there was it was quite difficult because we had to you know the there were quite a lot of uh, changes that we had to make when it came to application when it had to, when it came to location um mm. when we first signed up um we we put the application through we were in a location where we had a lot of rejections from the local community yeah. um and <laughs> the local pharmacy i remember they even made a they said one of the directors isn't even a pharmacist um <laughs> and i was like why does the director need to be a pharmacist right yeah. Um, so they were coming up with all types of claims and we thought, okay, look, let's just, let's just move to an area where, you know, it's better suited for this. So, you know, fortunately we found where we are now, which is a lot more industrial. Um, mm. and it actually came, you know, it was a blessing to be honest, because now we've got you know, proper loading bays just off the mm. North Circular. So it's very easy for us to get into Northwest, uh, mm. Northwest London. Mm. Um, so, so we're quite fortunate in that regard. Um, but yeah, so we, when we put the application in, it took a couple of months, COVID delayed us. Then we had to put the application fresh again in our new location. Um, and uh, I think there, there is, especially during COVID, uh, you know, there, there was quite a lot of, um, you know, it's COVID, so there's going to be delays, expect delays. Um, and I think that, I think that might, might have been a, chance, a time when, you know, people working from home may have been kind of taken advantage of the situation, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, so that was quite a bit of a process, um, and we were quite fortunate that we had um, Hassan on board, who's our superintendent and who's our chief pharmacist. Mm. Um, you know, I think the the amount of effort and work that he did to to really pull this together for us to get through the line was critical. Mm. And you know, he's a professor, he's a former professor in pharmacy, um, oh, wow. he's PhD, so he's got over fifteen years of experience. So he's really been, um, you know, an important piece of this that helped us get through um and because it took so long actually we 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 ventured into a, a side hustle while we're waiting for the license um and this is mm. when the the crypto boom was happening um and yeah that that kind of spun off into something else where 
we did about 50 million or so in transaction volume. We had oh, VCs, wow. uh, we had half a million committed from VCs, um, mm. but then the NHS you know, sent this uh, magical letter um, saying, you know, we've approved you and we were at crossroads thinking, okay, what do we do? Um, they didn't take us long to, to decide that look, we need to come back into health tech. That's really what's important for us. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you answered the question. How do you make that decision? You have, and uh, and obviously we've known each other for a few years now. I remember the crypto boom and you were doing super well. VC wants to get involved and you had really good plans. And then you're on the opposite end of the spectrum, which is healthcare. How did you kind of make the decision you want to go down this route? Um, it was an easy decision. Was it a discussion you had to ha- have a discussion as co-founders? Tell us a bit about that process because I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's not it's it's not easy to step down. Um, it's it's not easy to step down because like you've got you've built a team, you've got mm. uh, responsibilities, things like that. Um, what was easy, to be honest, was when we decided that we didn't want to go ahead. Um, you know, or we decided that we're not going to run full time the crypto. Um, it was easy to say no to the money. Um, mm-hmm. Although it took us months and months to get that together, and it's not easy to to raise uh, money as kind of minority, you know, kind yeah. of minority background and stuff, and not having the corporate background as well. You know, I'm not, you know, mm. I didn't go to traditional investment banks or consulting firms and all this type yeah. of stuff. So it was very very hard to raise that money. But what what like again, our background in terms of like how we were raised is what we call amana. You know, it's, mm. it, we're entrusted, you know, so anyone that invests, it's, an, it's a trust upon mm. us as, as founders to make sure that we do absolutely everything that we can to, you know, to give them the best return possible. Um, now, obviously, things can go wrong with obviously mm. any type of investment, especially startup tech, and tech investing. Um, mm. But we didn't want to, you know, take on that money and not be able to put in absolutely 110%. But Again, like when when you're when you've got two options, one is you've got a market which is cyclical. You've got a market where you've got high volatility, ups and downs, um, and people are going. And I saw it, bef- you know, before my eyes: sixteen-year-olds making, you know, fifteen, sixteen million um, oh, wow. in in uh, in NFTs. Uh, I saw nineteen-year-old student at City, um, you know, uh, hitting about nine hundred k in a matter of days. Um, you know, so you see all like big, big amounts of money being made, but at the same time, you know, you're kind of thinking there, there's more to what's here than, than money. What attracted mm. me with crypto was really, again, it was like access to, to finance, you know, really mm. setting, you know, you've got a level playing field when it came to, um, you know, access to, to, to money and stuff. Um, but if, if you don't have good health, money doesn't matter. Um, yeah. mm. and you know, it was actually recently where I really appreciated us making that change. Um, and, I, and I know, Abdul, you, you guys know this as well, but, uh, you know, someone in my family, they unfortunately passed. Um, and again, it was because of misdiagnosis. Um, when they were going to a GP, GP doesn't have enough time. So they are having, you know, they're making multiple visits. The scans aren't happening. It's just giving them antibiotics to send them home. Um, and then unfortunately, you know, they get diagnosed with cancer quite, you know, stomach cancer, um, and then they ended up getting, you know, brain cancer, blood cancer, and other, you know, other, other issues. Um, and I think when, when that really hit us as a, as a family, it's like, 
you see the statistics on the news. Like you see, yeah. you know, like people are dying because of delays. People are dying because of misdiagnosis. And it's like on one side, you've got the financial gain. And on the other side, you've got people's lives. Yeah. Um, and when people aren't healthy, you know, money doesn't really matter at all, mm. you know, if, if you're not healthy. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we, we took our kind of gut instincts and, yeah. you know, focused on our passion. Um, yeah. And I think like now looking back to it, it's absolutely the best thing we could have done. Obviously, since then, FTX has kind of crashed the whole market. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think since then a lot's happened, so which uh, definitely doubles down what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I think what's important, uh, especially to like um, the, the, the listeners as well, is that, you know, you, you have to you have to be super passionate about something uh, oh. to the level where the money doesn't matter, because mm. most of the time you won't be getting paid for your work. Um, yep. That's how it is. And it might be for a few years. So mm. if you don't really love what you're doing, if you're not really super passionate about it, if it's just like something that you're jumping into because of hype, mm. um, it's not going to last. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so it's definitely something that you have to look into. I think um, that was probably a nice way to to bring this conversation to an end. It really does come down to health, looking after one another, looking after patients that are more vulnerable, and us being fortunate enough to be in a position where we do have the skill set and the the experience to do something about it. Um, and I believe that you mentioned something close to home as well. So. Thank you for taking the time out. I think what Caplet is building is incredible. The fact that Caplet you're offering to help other health tech startups as well in their aid in helping patients is, is amazing as well. We wish you kind of the best in what you're building. We're big fans. We're big supporters, uh, both in this ventures and every Absolutely. other ventures you've done. And you've done incredibly well. And this is a testament to you. Um, but no, thank you for taking the time out. And a massive thank you to our listeners as well for tuning in this week.